0: sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, accelerate your business growth has got to cover. And now on with the show. My guest today is Leo Batari. Leo is the founder and managing partner of Peer Novation LLC and co-founder of The One Advantage. Leo is an award-winning author of three books, including Peer Innovation: What Peer Advisory Groups Can Teach Us About Building High-Performing Teams, the published in 2020. He's also a keynote speaker, podcaster, workshop facilitator, advisory board member, and opinion columnist for CEO World Magazine, and adjunct professor for, professor for Rutgers University. Thanks so much for joining me today, Leo.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Great to be here.
0: Well, I am thrilled to have you here. We're going to be talking about leadership, which is one of my favorite topics, <clears throat> get more so every day. Um, <laughs> and I want to start by asking you what you um, believe are the fundamentals of great leadership.
1: Oh, thanks for asking. Um, I will tell you that I have been a real follower of Jim Cousins and Barry Posner for quite some time. Of course, their first book, um, or the, at least the first edition of the Leadership Challenge was written in 1987. And it was largely based on, on interviews where they were asking people, as a leader, what were the kinds of practices? What were the things that you were doing that you believe reflected your best self as a leader? And you know time and time again the same five exemplary practices um, kept coming up and they were modeled away um, uh, you know uh, inspiring a shared vision, uh, challenging the process uh, enabling others to act and encouraging the heart, which obviously I think is is really super important to you know make sure people feel appreciated and celebrated so I think those five practices have really stood the test of time. And they've certainly rung true for me um, and for the incredible leaders that I work with all the time uh, with CEO peer groups and in, you know, in companies around the world.
0: Yeah, I, I, excuse me, I, I love those fundamentals. Um, and, and I think um, the heart really is so Hmm. incredibly important and something that I'm not sure in the past, you know, far past, you know, probably earlier than the seventies was necessarily a thing. Do you think it was or um, has that evolved?
1: No, I think it's evolved quite a bit. Um, You know, I think a lot has changed in the world. I mean, just think about, um, you know, what's changed, you know, globally you know, when you consider, you know, uh, authoritarian rule and everything from, you know, protests for freer elections in Poland to uh, peaceful uprisings in the neighboring countries to the fall of the Berlin Wall and the collapse of the Soviet Union. This idea of, you know, trying to basically, you know, force people, whether it was how they live or how they work, you know, in any way, this whole command and control uh, notion of leadership, You know, I I think has changed quite a bit. And, you know, in many respects, you know, you asked me about these leadership practices that I may think are, you know, really essential, you know, for leaders, and and I think those five practices have held up well. And if you think about it, those practices haven't changed a lot at all. Um, In fact, Um, I think it's much more about how people want to be led uh, than anything else. Again, I think there's some global considerations there. I think how we're parented and how we parent today versus, you know, a few generations ago um, where, where everything was kind of about If it wasn't your parent, your teacher, uh, your priest or minister or whatever, there was this boss that was pretty much telling you (laughs) what you were supposed to do and you didn't have a lot of voice. Um, Today, that's not the case. You know, kids are parented in a way where parents actually listen to their kids. Um, And they recognize that kids are brought up in a completely different world than what they grow up in. They, they grew up in and we have a lot to learn uh, from our children in that respect in terms of how they see the world. So I think that's translated into companies today where uh, leaders are listening. Uh, employees are actually able to offer immediate value. Um, it is no longer a situation where you've got to be there for five, 10 plus years to learn the ropes from, you know, an elder. Um, you come in oftentimes with real incredible skills, particularly around digital social media, collaboration in a number of areas where, you know, young people come into the workplace and offering and providing immediate value. And I think that's changed the dynamic, um, you know, incredibly.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm so glad that you said that it's whenever I hear people complaining about millennials, and, and what I always say to them, <laughs> okay, hang on a second, we raised them. So if you're going to be upset with anybody, let's all just be upset with ourselves, because we're the ones who created these humans, you know, who, want more out of a work environment and are more socially conscious and you know all of these I consider to be great things about the you know the these generations.
1: Well, I think we've got everything to be proud of. I don't think we have to apologize for anything in that regard. I've got um, two daughters that are in their early 30s. I teach graduate school, as you mentioned, for Rutgers University, where I work with uh, young people all the time, whether it's millennials or now Gen Zs. And I think it's an extraordinary generation. I think they get a bad rap and it becomes, um, you know, a convenient kind of way to talk about them in terms of being entitled and all these other kinds of things. And I think the reality, um, is that, um, I love how they see the world. I, you know, I, every once in a while I'd kind of describe it from a perspective of when I grew up, we were taught, you know, good things come to those who wait. My daughters will tell you that good things come to those who act and, and they are more purposeful and they are more, I mean, it's just an entirely different, again, entirely different world they grew up in. And, and I think in many respects, we have been as parents smart to listen to them to learn from them. And I think the more we continue to do that, they're not going to be like us, we weren't like our parents, and they weren't like their parents. Um, You know, the, uh, I read one time that even, you know, Plato, you know, back in the day, right, was concerned about, boy, that next generation, the world's just going to fall apart once they take over. And somehow, you know, we've all managed to do okay. Um, so I, I think the next generation and generations to come uh, are going to do some extraordinary things. I do too. I, I'm totally with you. So, so
0: let's talk some about how they want to be led, because it's different, isn't it, from how boomers want to be led?
1: Yeah. uh, Or or I'm not sure want, but at least boomers were used to being led, um, you know, in a a, a pretty rough way for a long time. But, you know, I think this idea of real inclusive leadership uh, is really important. People want to be included. They want to be part of the decision making process. And when we do that, we also make them part and engaged in the success of whatever initiative we've all worked on together. So sometimes it may take you a little longer to reach a plan of action. But when you do, and everyone looks each other in the eye and says, this is great, this is going to work. And now we have that stake in the outcome. We have that um, connection to... What we're doing here it wasn't someone told us to do it. We own the solution. And when that happens, it makes a big, big difference. And so I think one of the big things um, is that young people want to be heard. That doesn't necessarily mean that we agree with every single thing that anyone says or does in that regard. But I think if people, um, you know, all of us really if we feel we've been heard, if if we've made our case, we recognize sometimes that we don't always have the full picture. we're not seeing the entire chessboard you know over time, and this is where you know we have trust our leaders that they've they've heard us, they recognize that our ideas come from a particular perspective and vantage point, and that this is where you know we have to trust one another. so you know I think being part of the process is really important think about now the challenges that have been facing leaders who had everyone working remotely and now you've got a bunch of leaders who are saying all right starting Monday everyone's back in the office five days a week yeah. and everyone else is like well wait a second now <laughs> hold on there you know <laughs> we should talk about this first uh, because we all did pretty well you know for a lot of this and and you've got employees now who have choices and with the balance of power shifted and that um, and maybe it's okay. And that even though there's a lot of leaders that won't love it, that they have to kind of listen and they have to invite uh, these folks to the table, they'll be grateful they did uh, once, um, you know, this all kind of flushes out and maybe together they can write that next chapter of the future of work.
0: It feels to me and it has felt to me for a little while now, you know, probably at least the past couple of years that older leaders you know, so boomers who lead are having a difficult time shifting, uh, you know, process and beliefs, because it's so ingrained where younger leaders, it it is part of how they have grown up. So it's more natural
1: for them. Is that fair? Um, It's very fair. Um, Well, think about it this way. So, so I'll I'll put it in my, so when I went to school, um, you know, I'm in high school, college or whatever, it involved a teacher slash lecturer, professor, whatever you want to call them in the front of the room, you know, telling you things, you taking notes, taking tests, writing papers, doing that kind of stuff. Back then for me, your collaborative learning would have been called cheating. Essentially, right? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's shy, you know they're shading their papers, they're doing all these other kinds of things. Well, when you grow up and your learning experience is collaborative, again, you've been now you've built muscles around being able to do that in ways. Um, that I think are are pretty extraordinary, you care about different things um, you grow up in in a very different system, a very different way of thinking. When I talk with many CEOs as you describe, you know boomers who really have a difficult time squaring the idea that they don 't care about the same things I care about, and i don 't know how to bridge that gap i don 't know how to really listen and really try to see the world from their perspective. And it is really difficult. So you've got to work at it. Um, Conversely, I think that um, millennials have to do the same, that they have to realize that the people they report to were shaped by a very different world. And the better they understand one another, the more opportunities they're going to have to have meaningful, intentional conversations where they can at least understand one another better, which I think um, would be a wonderful start
0: yeah I do too. i It feels like it all starts with
1: everybody listening first, yes, how about that yeah, <laughs> and listening and and listening for understanding though you know right. um it is Covey's thing right? Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Yeah. It's not about trying to listening so you can frame your argument about why they're wrong. It's right. a listening from a place of curiosity, a real place of wanting to understand, <clears throat> and you know we weren't very well equipped for that either. Um, in my second book, What Anyone Can Do, I remember raising this idea that, okay, I'll go back to when I was growing up, you know, parents would tell us things like, oh, whatever you do, don't have conversations with people about politics or religion, right? Because why? Because it was set up for a fight, you know? Now, of course, they're trying to ease social situations. I think they're trying to protect the nascent views of, of young kids who have values that are shaped at home that parents don't want people tinkering around with too, too much. But, you know, the reality is that when we don't look at those as opportunities for understanding, when we think they're, they're just simply setups for conflict, that becomes a problem. I mean, imagine if we lived in a world where we could ask and really have great meaningful conversations about people's faith and the role it plays in their life and what that means for them, or to understand whether someone's Democrat or Republican, where does that come from for you? What are the things that have shaped the way you see the world and what does that look like? You don't have to agree with them, you know, but but to actually become really educated and trying to develop an understanding of what this is all about, as opposed to having it be, you know, fodder for conflict. And unfortunately, it's not just politics and religion anymore. It's all kinds of stuff that people can't talk about. And and I think that's um I think that's really been, you know, problematic. And I hope that we come to a place where we start, you know, doing some things that help us dialogue a little more effectively than that. We can be a little more curious, you know, that we can try to be um, you know, that line where we, we to try to be interested before we try to be interesting. It would be great, right?
0: It it really would be great. <laughs> I just I just keep saying to my children who are in their twenties, um, I'm just you know banking on you guys to fix all the stuff that we broke. You know, okay. I, I just because I I don't know that that my generation has any interest in listening, but their generation is so uh, tolerant and unbiased and just, you know, doesn't understand all of this insanity, they need to be in charge.
1: Sure. They do. Well, I, I think I think that's 100% right. I think there's a lot of things that we've screwed up. Um, I'm not sure either if any of us were prepared. I mean, think about it. I mean, the numbers are roughly correct. So that if you look at the population in this world, it has just about tripled since 1950. So think about that. And think about how exponentially more quickly this is about to happen going forward the impact that all of us have on this planet in, in, in every way uh shape or form is something that we have to think about something we have to plan for and unless we have a generation right now stepping in and stepping up and doing what we didn't in that regard uh, i i think it's um you know crucial
0: yeah, i do too i do too well, so I'm going to ask you a question about the workplace, and, and in my brain, I'm sort of curious about <laughs> if it then translates to, you know, the greater society. But my question is this, what are the pluses of having five generations in today's workforce?
1: Well, it could be a plus if we can actually all listen and learn from one another. <laughs> I think it's incredible. I mean, think about that. I mean, think about how that's amazing, right? Yeah. That, that you can have a, a, a situation like that. Um, so I think the more that everybody, and this is kind of what I went and talked about before in terms of it isn't just about boomers trying to understand millennials. It's gotta be the other way around as well. And I think now when you broaden it to the five generation scenario, what an incredible learning opportunity that is. You know, it, it's kind of amazing. And by the way, I've met some extraordinary people. I'll mention one gentleman. So back when I was working for uh, Vistage, which is, you know, they assemble and facilitate peer advisory groups for, you know, CEOs, you know, in the US and around the world, there was a gentleman, his name was Pat Heineman. Now, Pat Heineman uh, was a very successful career. He had done more things by his early seventies than most people could do in three lifetimes. And yet at the age of 73, he decides, Hey, I'm going to take on a new career and decides that he's going to be a chair, be a leader of these Vistage groups of of CEOs. So the guy does this for 25 years. I mean, think about that. (laughs) Regards it as the most meaningful, you know, um, part of his career. And, you know, he basically talked in terms of, you know what, he says you don't, you know, grow old, he said you become old when you stop growing. And he was very much about learning from others learning from young people, of course, being able to hear stories from him, you know, during times where you know, watching Babe Ruth play and things like that it was just unbelievable, right. So in, in business or in life, or sports or all of the experiences he had growing up, um, were just amazing. And Conversely, what he, he would also do is he would come into the office all the time and be trying to stay up on all the new technology so that when he was running that technology in his meetings, he didn't look like the 98-year-old guy who didn't know what he was doing with it. He was all over it. He was on top of it. His presence, his voice, his strength of personality, his whole persona in front of a group was 20 or 30 years his junior. And I think it had so much to do with that level of, of curiosity and wisdom and understanding that, um, you know, he had across and he's got groups of course, where there were several generations of CEOs, even in that situation, but in an environment where they could truly talk and learn from one another, um, it was amazing. So, you know, I think anyone who's lucky enough to be in a workplace that has that kind of representation in there should be all about how much can I learn from everyone all around me every day, no matter who they are, how old they are, um, where they come from, you know, all of it, we have, we have some, something to learn from everybody.
0: Yeah, that, it's for sure. It's for sure. And we have to get out of this um... We have to be more open-minded. I mean, curiosity is my favorite thing. I think when we lead with curiosity, it just opens up everything and makes us more connected to people and we make better decisions or we participate in better decision-making. I really liked what you said about, you know, when people are part of the process, then they have buy-in, you know, then they, it's going to work because it's theirs. That's Right right and so if there's a big difference between being told and being included
1: yeah the i knew that wasn't going to work you know that kind of stuff that's that's what tends to happen but when you own the solution it's a whole yeah. different ballgame yeah.
0: right exactly right right right
1: imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more saas startups would gain traction sooner welcome to the tech entrepreneur on the mission podcast
0: I am curious um, if you think that changes in our like political leadership have affected this dynamic of how people want to be led.
1: Yes. No. Well. Yes. And is. Yeah, there's no question about that. Um, it's also changed our ability to have dialogue in this country um, and not in a good way. Um, and and by the way, and I'm I I not only speak, you know, for Vistage groups and all that, but all different peer groups all over, as well as working, uh, you know, with different companies. And what's interesting about this, and the reason I say that is because I don't want anything attributed to any specific you know, group or team or anything like that. But the reality is that there are some groups, and this is among CEOs now, where the efficacy of the group has actually been compromised by the fact that the members come together and they just don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to step on any toes. They don't want to challenge anyone. They don't want to do anything. And it becomes all about just trying to completely play it safe. And it actually really compromises the very reason they're there, which is to, you know, really in a healthy, positive way, challenge one, one another to basically, you know, achieve what they most cases have expressed. They already want for themselves. Um, conversely, there have been fistfights, fights. Uh, in CEO group meetings. Yes. Um, and it is, I mean, something else when you start thinking about that and the fact that things have gotten so tense and so heightened and everybody's on a hair trigger. Um, and we, and we have what, um, and I think a interesting expression that was used by the Edelman trust barometer among number of years ago, and they continue to use it is that we really have poor information hygiene. Right Whenever we hear something that tends to conform um, with our worldview, we will spread that information without betting it first. Yeah, right. and this is where you have all of these things that are coming out there and all these you know crazy scenarios and all the stuff that that people are sharing and spreading all over the place uh, in a way that's that's just really harmful that you know, we used to you know back, and this is a long time ago now, so if you went back or like in, in the 80s, well, no, no, not even, you know, but you go back in the in the 80s, you know, when people go back to the days and they talk about Reagan being president and Tip O'Neill and the fact that they could still have a drink together at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but the point is that back then, there was never really a question about it. It was always kind of understood that, hey, Republicans, Democrats, they want a good result for the country. They just have a different way of going about it. They have a different way of trying to get there. And, and it was bridging those um, gaps. Now we can't even agree in the same set of facts about anything, let alone motive or intent or any of these other things. And it's it's caused incredible problems and it has infected a lot of what happens with dialogue today. Now, on the flip side of that, we also just went through here we are COVID kind of on the backside of this now where at the same time, we have this incredible political divisiveness. I think there's a not even a, not nearly enough talked about with the incredible generosity and spirit that people have toward one another that they're giving to their neighbors and to their friends and their, and um, how, what it's done in families and all that, I think has been rather extraordinary. So we have some, really good things going on and a lot of really good people out there in this world. And by the same token, we have, you know, this other, you know, information pandemic, if you will, this inability to, uh, you know, engage in productive exchanges with one another. That is, is no small thing. And we're going to have to work really hard to fix that.
0: Well, people are going to have to want to work really hard to fix that.
1: Right. Yeah. And and, you know, the difficulty is when we only hang around with people who agree with us, yeah. then we really don't have much of an incentive to try to, you know, deal with the other. So, yeah, that's a problem. And, it's, yeah, and that's
0: it's, gotten worse. since. All yeah.
1: When when we think about it, a lot of the people, when they complain about Congress, they talk about gerrymandering and, and what that's done as far as deeply entrenching uh, members of Congress, whether it was, uh, no matter what side you're talking about, right. you know, into the extremes of, of their specific, um, positions. And so I'm not sure that we don't personally gerrymand our own lives by trying oh. to, you know, just only connect ourselves with people who are like-minded in that way. And, and we have to do a better job of, of trying to reach out, um, you know, beyond that. But again, you know, we we have to be able to have the kind of productive dialogue that's going to make that um, helpful. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I, I completely agree with you. And one of the things that goes on in my head is I think we have to go I think we have to go back to what is the the goal because I feel like we move the goal all the time. When, when it's agree with me, that becomes the goal, not whatever it is I'm trying to accomplish over here or whatever I, I believe in or, or whatever it is. It's the goal is now you have to be on my side sure. with me, right? And so yep. if, if we can break it down and say, okay, hang on a second, You know, like in, in, a, in a business, what are really the goals of the business? Okay, so then now, what needs to happen in order for those goals to be met? Then it takes the emotion out of it and allows us to focus in a place that you know feels like it shouldn't be so volatile.
1: yeah, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with conflict. You know um conflict can be really good. Conflict, when it's done well, um, we can learn a lot. And to your point about goals and purpose, you know, years ago, when I worked at Mullen Lowe, um, it was a pretty combative environment. Um, what people didn't realize when you look at it from the outside is the people weren't fighting against each other. They were fighting for the best idea. Uh. They recognized that what they were there to do was challenge one another. They actually had incredible mutual respect for when, for each other. They knew if they challenged each other, the more they did that, the better the work got. And that's why they were all there. They were there to maximize their potential as a professional, as an individual, and be part of an ensemble that, if they did their job, was capable of creating the best advertising in the world. And that's why they were there and why they wanted to be part of it. So the conflict part of it was actually people got worked up because they cared, but they were listening. And you yeah. work together because the work is what it was all about. Yeah, um, I used to love the way that the standard on that, by the way, Uh, was uh, framed by Edward Boches, who was the executive creative director at the time, who basically said that, you know, good work tells you what a product does and why you should buy it. Great work conveys what a brand stands for and invites you to share in its beliefs. So now you not only have a goal, a purpose, you have even a higher standard. You have something that you are shooting for that you want to self-identify with being a part of. And so I'd like to hope that we could create that kind of a construct, um, you know, for this country, we're actually getting things done, recognizing who we are, what our purpose is and what it's all about.
0: Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm with that. I, I I like that. Um, And one of the things that I hear in that is the mutual respect, you know, that's the foundation. Everyone started from a point of respecting each other.
1: You know, you hear a lot of people talk about freedom uh, mm-hmm. with this idea of what that means and all of that. I, I think the more operative word we should be using is liberty. Uh, liberty, uh, as you may know, is, is just the um, responsible exercise of freedom. It's recognizing that in the pursuit of exercising my freedom, I recognize that other people have it too. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't infringe oh. upon that, right? So, uh, you know, I, I wish we could kind of get to more of a, understanding from a terminology standpoint that you know freedom at least developed that connotation of liberty not the connotation of hey i can do whatever the heck i want
0: i'm so glad that you said that It, it has pained me for the past couple of years that 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 people have forgotten that we are a community and that we are responsible for how we impact our community. You know, everyone's gone to their corners and and is so, you know, they have blinders on around the, the, the whys. You know, why would you do it? Well, because it's good for someone else. Like, really, is that so tough? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Oh. We do live in a society, you know. Right, so. right.
0: Exactly about that? what we used to. I mean, you know, we used to have an understanding of that, and and that feels like that's sort of gone by the wayside. But we'll see. Well, COVID
1: COVID tested that for a lot of people.
0: Sure did. Sure yep. did. Yeah. Yeah. And and in my opinion, a lack of great leadership um, just you know lit the fuse because leadership really could have done an awful lot to send the right messages and to rally the troops. And it was really up to individuals to sort of, you know, swim on their own, so.
1: Yeah, um, you know, it, it's not, hasn't typically been the the role of presidents to try to um, d- divide the country during moments where we really needed to be been together. Yeah, so, right. you know, there is that, yes. um, and, you know, so. You know it that um you know is what it is, and we we've gotta but we've we've gotta do better, and everybody's gotta do better um mm-hmm. what happened in um Texas the other day is profoundly um i mean sad doesn't begin to touch it, mm-hmm. but I think everybody should be really angry, everybody should be I really like, too. you know what, this is just you know and unless people believe Americans are homicidal by nature right? right as opposed to any other country in the world right we we've got to deal with this issue um and people have different views about how to deal with it, but no since no one's doing anything right and it's been and it's been part of every presidency yeah you know for just about as long as most of us can remember yep. um we 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 can't Allow that to happen anymore, and and no, and no parent in their right mind is going to want to send their kids to school. And how horrifying, oh my gosh. you know? How horrifying is that?
0: Well, and 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 the the other part of it is that people are forgetting that there are living victims, right? I mean, oh. those children who experienced watching their classmates get slaughtered I have. I, I heard a guy on um, the news who wrote a book. About, you know, he studied this, he researched the impact that this sort of trauma has on children. It's, you know, we, I I don't understand how we can sit here and and sort of treat it, say it's unacceptable, but treat it like it's acceptable.
1: Yeah, Um, well, that's exactly right. You know, people will get, you know, appropriately outraged for about a week. And then, you know, it's all, it'll kind of go back. And let's face it, this is on the heels you know of of a you know prior tragedy in buffalo it's 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 California. it is it, yeah, it yeah. it's just going on and on and on and on yeah. and you know it's and it's and it's, it's, and-
0: it's ridiculous see this this is the whole leadership <laughs> thing for me that 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 leaders make tough choices or or they make tr- they make decisions for the greater good not for their own you know for what's expedient for them, supposedly. I mean, this is, you know,
1: I'm... I'm- I, I, that, by the way, that's not only absolutely correct. It's publicly acknowledged. Like people out of with with a straight face will say, yeah, well, he's not going to vote for that because it could cost them their job. I'd love to know why it is that anyone wants a job that doesn't actually afford them the opportunity to, to do their job, right? So it, it, they become... You know, uh, subservient to lobbyists and and other, you know, special interests, and I don't know why you'd want it. You know, because unless you're willing to have the the courage to stand up for what's right during times when it's most difficult, I don't know what you're doing there. Me either. So,
0: I know. I, listen, yeah. it, it, I I'm totally with you, and I I'm, but I think it it requires the citizenry to say, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. Because unless we do, they have no incentive. People are going to vote them right back into office. And we have to stand up and say, seriously, we're done. And just hound the hell out of them until they realize we mean it.
1: Yeah, you know, it is, this is where you know it just literally made me think of when you talked about the leadership issue here you go right down the row right modeling the way inspiring a shared vision challenging the process enabling others to act and encouraging the heart let's get us some leaders you know who are doing those five things yes. and and we're going to be in a different situation but exactly that's that's yeah. not that's not the world that we're living in right now but we're yeah. also we're we're also not not entirely separate from it we are voting these people into office right and and so um we're condoning it we're absolutely
0: condoning this yeah that's right yeah i know oh my gosh i am so glad we (laughs) had this conversation today thank you i I feel sort of like i just had a therapy session so
1: (laughs) there you go (laughs) yeah it kind of went in a bit of a you know a a bigger broader direction but that's good It has, you know and and it's and it's it's nice to You know, again, to be able to share this thing and, you know, not in a partisan way, not just this is the state of things. Yeah. And, you know, it's got to change.
0: Right. Right. Oh, believe me. They're all to blame as far as I'm concerned. So, Leo, will you please tell the listeners, you know, how they can find you, how they can get your books, whatever you've got going on, please?
1: Sure. Um, So they can go to my website at leobotari.com, L-E-O-B-O-T-T-A-R-Y.com, where um, they can basically learn about peer innovation, which is the subject of my third book, um, which is what peer advisory groups can teach us about building high-performing teams. Um, I'd spent about a decade or more basically studying business peer advisory groups from around the world we took a lot of their best practices um, in my first book and in, sec- in the second book that I wrote, um, it was pretty much all about um, the whole group of people who surround us, our parents, teachers, mentors, family, friends, and all of that, um, with the idea that, you know, when you look at really successful people in life, it isn't that they are capable of superhuman feats. They can't leap tall buildings in a single bound. They just do the things that anyone can do that most of us never will. And if we can surround ourselves with the right people, um, they can help us do those little things that anyone can do far more often. But but leaping to this idea of, peer advisory groups and how the really high performing ones um, do what they do so well, it's being able to capture those principles and bring those into your teams. And I I don't think there's ever been a more important time to be bringing those teams together, having intentional conversations uh, that create clarity and real unity and real empowerment, Uh, you know, for folks where together we can start writing um, the next chapter of our future of work and be all in it together.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for the work you do and for spending some time with me and my listeners helping us get educated on all of this. I appreciate it. And listeners, I appreciate you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast